Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the first week of our series on Matthew 12 called Not My Messiah. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Well, we're going to continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're kind of uh, coming to a new section in Matthew chapter 12. And, uh, and as we look at Matthew chapter 12, what we're going to find is the whole chapter is really about uh, the religious leaders of that day really opposing Jesus. You know, they were talking about how they wanted the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. But when Jesus came, they said, that's not my Messiah. That's not, that's not the one that I want to believe in. And so they were opposed to him. They, they you know, they, they even tried, we're going to see today, tried to, to trip him up. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up and to keep it open through our time this morning so you could follow along with us. But we're going to, as we always do, start by reading the passage we're going to be diving into this morning. So let me start by reading Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law on how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is, so is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of this time. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and Father, to be able to dive into your word. Thank you for the things that you continue to teach me. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me, Father, that your spirit would speak your timeless truths and each one of us would have hearts and ears that are open to understand. Father, that we would be receptive to whatever you might have to say to each one of us this morning. I pray your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm gonna start this message a little differently this morning. Uh, We're gonna start actually by playing a game together. We're gonna play a game of Simon Says. Uh, now, most of you probably have played Simon Says before, and, but for those, just in case you haven't, you know, let me give you the, the basic rules. They're pretty simple. Uh, I'm going to be Simon, and I'm going to give you some instructions to, of things you're supposed to do. And if the command begins with Simon Says, you're supposed to do it. And if you don't do it, then you're out. And now, on the other hand, if I give you an instruction and I don't say Simon Says, then you're not supposed to do that. So if you go ahead and do the things that doesn't include Simon Says, then you're out as well. And so, so again, the whole idea is that you, you know, do only what I, you know, you do what I tell you only if it's preceded by Simon Says. So, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you stand up and, uh, and what we're going to do is that if you get this wrong, then you're out, you sit down. Okay, ready? So now you're up, this is interactive. So, yep. 
Oh, Simon, you're right. I didn't say Simon Says. You're, he, he caught me on that one. Okay, every, Simon Says, everybody stand up. Thank you. You got me on that. All right, so Simon Says, clap your hands once. Simon Says, raise your right hand. Okay, if you're raising your left hand and you think it's your right hand because it's on minus it's on your left side, then you got it wrong. Okay, so okay, Simon Says, raise your left hand. Simon Says, put your hands on your shoulders. Now you can put them down. No, no, I didn't say Simon Says. Now you can put them all down. Nope, I didn't say Simon Says. Okay, now Simon Says says you can put them down. All right, now Simon Says, march in place. And spin around. No, Simon Says, spin around, okay? Simon Says, spin around. And Simon Says, you can stop. All right, now t touch your knees. Okay, Simon Says, okay, Simon Says, touch your knees. Simon says, shake your hands. Simon says, um, you, know, um, you know, wave goodbye. Uh, Simon says, put your hands on your shoulders. Now touch your hair. Or for those of us that where you used to have hair. Um, okay, now Simon says, touch your hair. Okay, okay, so, okay, now let's try different things. Okay, so let's, Simon says, touch your ear. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, close your eyes. Simon says, touch your ear, close your eyes. T touch your knees, Simon says, touch your knees. Okay, how many are you still with me now? Okay, we're now curious, it's gonna get really hard. Okay, Simon says, pat your, pat your head. Simon says, with your other hand, rub your belly. Now, how many of you can do that? Okay, that's, if you can do that, then you'll keep, then you are, you are good. Okay, you did a good job. You, you got the game. Simon says, you may be seated. Now you say, what in the world are we doing starting with Simon says? Where there actually is a point behind this um, there's a reason, and it goes to, goes to the whole idea of what are the rules behind Simon Says. When you think about playing Simon Says, you know, what you have is you have a leader of the game uh, that's telling everyone what to do, and there's no deeper purpose behind the instructions that I give you. You know, it's just, you know, I give you a command, I make something up, it's kind of spontaneous, and I tell you, and, and, and you've got to do it. I have control over the game, right? And, and so what you have is that all the rules, in a sense, are arbitrary and they're, they're pointless. There's nothing to them than what I think of, and I'm kind of like saying, okay, because I'm in charge, you need to do what I'm telling you in charge. And, um, and, and you win the game by keeping those rules. You know, they're pointless. There's no reason to it other than just obeying what I tell you. And, and it's not like keeping the rules, but sometimes it's, it's also manipulating the rules. Because you think about it, a lot of times we're sitting there and saying, well, you know, touch your ear. And it's like, well, well you know, I, I didn't really touch my ear. Or I didn't, you know, I didn't go all the way down to my knees. So I'm still in. And so what we're doing is we're playing the game. We're saying, how slowly can I go with, with making the move, with actually, you know, still participating? And, and is this in? Is this out? Is, you know, if, if, and, and we manipulate it. We try to argue that, you know, that, that I really didn't make a mistake there. And now if you think about that, um, you, know, uh, you know, we hope that there's a nice game leader that is going to you know, kind of let everybody in because we want everybody to be happy. And, and now here's the point of that all, is when I talk about that, is I've thought about Matthew 12, I thought about this whole passage, but I've realized is there's a lot of people that see God, that see his, his rules, his moral teaching, as being kind of like Simon Says. You know, that his commands are just like the commands of Simon Says. Many people think that, you know, that God is just up there and he wants to demonstrate his authority over us and he t gives us a set of rules. He just arbitrarily makes them up. God says, do this. God says, don't do that. 
And basically, if you do what God says, and if you don't do the things he doesn't say, well, then you're good. You're in the game. If you don't, well, then you're in trouble. You're out. Now, Matthew 12, what we're seeing is that Jesus is dealing with this group of Pharisees, and they're driven by a spirit of legalism. And what we're going to see is that these, the spirit of legalism is driven by this view of God. They view God as just this, this rule giver up there, and they see his commands as just these rules that he made up. And what they're doing, therefore, is they're trying to win the game. They're trying to say, okay, how do we have the rules? And, and we have the right rules. If we're doing a good enough job, we're in, and we're going to look for people that don't keep the rules, and, and we're going to point them out. They're out. Now, many people believe that God kind of randomly makes up rules, and, and he's true, and trying to prove his control over us. There's, there's no purpose behind his moral commandments, according to a lot of people. And so he gives commands like, keep the Sabbath, or you know, don't have sex until you're married, or don't lie, and, and they're just instructions that God made up. He could have made up different ones, and, and, um, and basically, again, God is just saying, keep the rules. It's not Simon says, it's God says. But here's what I want you to realize. That view of God is totally wrong, and that understanding of God's principles, of his moral teaching, is, is completely perverted and distorted. It's clear when you look at the Bible, everything that God says is an extension, not of him being the rule giver who's just making up rules, but as being a loving father. And his rules aren't just things that he makes up. They're actually, they're not, you know, just spontaneous, arbitrary. They're actually things that he says that's an expression of his character, that's an expression of our character, what he's made us in in human nature. It's actually something about the way that the world is created. It's an expression of the wisdom in the world. So everything is for our good. And so then you say, well, why do we need to obey? Why, why do we call it sinful and disobedience if we, if we disobey God? Well, again, the key is God's not just this rule saying, I call you. But when you look at it, we're gonna see that everything is based on relationship. And embracing Christ as our savior means not just that we acknowledge we've done wrong things. Well, I touch my ear when, I, when, when Simon didn't say it, no. It's that it's ultimately a rebellious attitude towards God. It's us saying, you know, you're just up there making rules and I know better than you do. It's ultimately us, you know, uh, deciding for ourselves, our wisdom, our knowledge. We, we know more than God. We reject God's authority over us. See, when we reject God's authority, we're ultimately rejecting relationship with him. Simply for this. See, if we want to have a relationship with him, we've got to embrace him for who he is. And who is he? He's God, he's creator. We, we can't say, well, I want a relationship with him, but we reject who he is. No, the Bible even said you know, in, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. What is that saying? It means that the beginning of understanding things understands that we're, there's a God, we're not him. There is a creator and he has designed things and everything that he has designed is for a good purpose. And it starts by recognizing, okay, God, instead of me coming and saying, I know what's best, no, God, I, I don't know what's best. I realize myself and proper relationship to you so that I need to come and I need to study a word, I need to learn, I need to align myself with what you say. So now let's go back to Matthew 12 and see how these ideas are, are taught in this passage. What we're gonna see is that the passage really is centered around some controversy and confusion about the Sabbath about the commandment of the Sabbath. And, and it isn't just about the Sabbath, though. We're gonna see that you know, that's kind of what's setting it off. 
but it's dealing with the bigger issue of what the Pharisees believed about God, the religious leaders, and how they understood his, his moral teaching. In fact, if we go to the verses right before this, at the end of chapter 11, what we're gonna see is you know, oftentimes when you, when you look at the chapters and you think, well, new, in chapter 11, chapter 12, brand new idea, we start off new. We've gotta remember that when Matthew or any the Bible, books of the Bible were written, they didn't have chapter divisions in them. Those were added hundreds of years later to help us navigate, to find our way around, which is a good thing. The negative is sometimes we put divisions where the Bible didn't. And so there are times that we need to be able to see that there are flows of thought that, that we need to see the relationship. Now look at a, just a few verses before this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Look what Jesus said. Come to me, all you labor uh, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now we're gonna see that this is definitely related to everything that he st starts to say now in the beginning of chapter 12. See, what is he saying here? He's saying that the religious leaders, it's not only that we're worn out, but the religious leaders would wear people out by their understanding of the rules. They, they came back and they said, well, God's teaching. God, if you want a relationship with God, here are the rules that you gotta keep. You gotta perform, you gotta do. And, and he, Jesus literally at times described this as a burden that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, put burdens on people by all the rules. Look what he says in Matthew 23. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and so, and, and so do observe whatever they tell you, but, but the, not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Basically, they've got a bunch of rules. They're not living it out, but they're judging everybody else by the rules. Continues, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and then lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So what they're doing is that they're putting burdens on people. These are burdens that are weighing people down. Now contrast this again. Let's go back to what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all the ones that are under these burdens, that think that this is what religion is all about. Because I want to tell you that, that God's relationship with God should never be a burden. Understanding God's, God's moral teaching should never be a burden. See, there are people that think that coming to God, well, if I come to God, well, well he's going to tell me these things, and it's going to be a burden. It's going to take away from my life. And and he's saying, no, that you totally misunderstand the heart of God. Instead, God wants us to come to him and to trust him and his word in a way that we find that his commandments are not a burden, but they, they give us rest, rest for our soul. It's not just the idea of Sabbath as a day of rest and that, and that we find rest there, but all of God's commandments are something that when we understand it in relationship are things that give us rest at the depth of our soul. But while this passage is what it really believed about all God's commands, it does focus on the Sabbath. Now, we may not talk about the Sabbath as much, but you know, if you think about it, we all know the Ten Commandments, right? We know those are really important. Well, those are these ten foundational moral principles that God gave the people of Israel, that God gives all of us to say, if you want to understand morality, you start there. Well, the fourth of the commandments. Number four is this one about the Sabbath, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We say, what does that mean? Well, it gives us a little explanation right there in Exodus 20. He continues, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And he continues. Now, clearly, if it's one of the Ten Commandments, it's important. 
And we don't talk about it a whole lot. We don't think about it a lot. And I want to actually come back. I'll let you know next week we're going to come back and dig into this a little bit more. We're going to ask, what does this command mean to us? How do we live it out? How should we understand this? And we're going to see it played out in this passage and in other passages in Scripture. But this morning, I want to step back and look at this bigger issue at how the Pharisees looked at not only this commandment, but all of God's commandments and how their perversion of this commandment was really a reflection of their misunderstanding of who God was and a misunderstanding of all of God's commands in his word. So how did they get it wrong? What we see is that these are things that they saw about God that were wrong. Number one, they saw God's commandments as arbitrary rules. And so they're looking at this and they're saying, you know, you know God basically made these up and, and they're not motivated by a heart of love. We're gonna see that. But instead, they're just rules that God made up and, uh, and they're rooted in a wrong view of God. And ultimately, what they're then doing is they're arbitrary rules. How do we keep the rules? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw that, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, what is it they're doing that the, that the Pharisees are upset about? They're walking through this grain field and they're picking grains of head from the top of the stalks and then, and then just eating that as a little snack while they're walking. Now you say, what's the problem? And some people might say, well, is that stealing? Well, actually the Bible itself, Deuteronomy 23, tells us that this was lawful. If you're walking through a grain field, you're allowed to do this. So it's clearly allowed in the Bible. So the issue isn't what they're doing, the issue is when they're doing it. And Matthew's very clear, the problem was that it was on the Sabbath. And they became angry because according to their rules about the Sabbath, they're looking at it and saying, the disciples are working when they shouldn't be working. Now here's what's going on. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were focused on you know, the rules. They saw you know, God's laws as kind of these rules that God just made up. And so, because we wanted to get it right, they wanted to not, you know, not touch their knee when Simon says, you know, they, what they did is they wrote all these different commentaries, these books, literally books, kind of taking a few laws and explaining what it means. And so let's just take this one, this one law about the Sabbath. So on this one law about the Sabbath, there was a, a book that was kind of a commentary called the Mishnah, uh, and it was this commentary in the Old Testament, and in that, they broke down the, law, the Sabbath and they found 39 specific ways that you could break the Sabbath. And not only that, there was 39 ways and each one of those had hundreds of rules within it. Right, so for example, one of the ways that you could break the Sabbath is by carrying a load. So if you carried something that was breaking the Sabbath, well, what does it mean? What are you allowed to carry? So they had different rules and they said, okay, now you could carry something that weighed a dried fig or less in weight. But if it weighed more than a dry fig, then that was labor, that was work. You couldn't carry it. And because they wanted to make sure, okay, well, well, what does it mean? How far are you allowed to carry it? And, and because practically, I mean, trying to go through a whole day and not carrying anything more that carried weighed more than a dry fig isn't practical, they then made all these loopholes so that they could keep the rule and still, you know, kind of find ways around it. So let me read from the Mishnah. This is, is, this is part of this law to make it clear, ready? He who carries anything, whether it be in his right hand or in his left hand, or in his bosom, or on his shoulder, is guilty. But he who carries anything on the back of his hand or with his foot, 
or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or with his ear, or with his hair, or with money bag turned upside down, or between his money bag and his shirt, or in the fold of his shirt, or in his shoe is guiltless, because he does not carry it in the usual way of carrying things. Does that make sense? Now, one of the questions, how do you carry things with your hair? I mean, I've never, you know, and, and you just, just think about this, this is crazy. And they're, they're sitting there saying, if you carry something, you're guilty, but then you have all these things. And let me just try to help you think about the craziness of this, all right? So let's say you have a couple people on their Sabbath and they're saying, hey, neighbor, we're having a lamb kebab cookout, you know, come and join us and, you know, you know bring some lamb to, to cook, right? So you've got the one Jew that's gonna come and, come and say, okay, normal person, they cut up some lamb, they, you know, they put, get some spices, they walk over to their neighbor and they say, okay, we're ready to, you know, cook out, just to enjoy this time, fellowship, enjoy, enjoy a day of rest. And the Pharisee's sitting there saying, guilty, you sinner, you know, you carried something. So what does he do? The Pharisee is gonna get up the day before and he's gonna cut up his lamb to make sure that nothing is bigger than a piece of fig. And, and then if anything is, you know, what he's gonna do is he's gonna, in fact, let me just say, you know, I got a couple of like kiwis here because they're kind of like, you know, just a little bigger than a fig. And so, so what they're gonna do is, is they're gonna say, well, because I don't wanna carry things, and, but what I am allowed to do is that I am, let's see, I'm allowed to put it in the fold of my shirt. So I'm gonna fold my shirt up here and, and, uh, and I'm gonna, and I'm, gonna, I'm allowed to do it in my mouth I know when you come to the thing, it's like, I kept the rule. Now, let me ask you, who's doing more work? I mean, it's obvious. I mean, if this guy that's going through all these things, I mean, that's a whole lot more effort than the guy that's just coming over and saying, hey, let's, let's cook some lamb. Now, Here's what I want you to think through. Why are they doing this? What do they believe about God? I mean, are they doing this because they're saying, I really want to show my love towards God and this is the way that I love God? I don't think so. Are they doing it because they're saying, you know, I really want to keep my focus on the Sabbath, worshiping God, and this is how I do it. It really puts my mind towards God. No. See, what you have to believe about God to think that that's what God wants you to do and you have to believe that God is up there, like Simon says, making up rules and saying, you do this, you do this, and if you break it, you're out. And they're like, okay, well, we wanna make sure that we don't do it. There's no heart in that. It's all about legalism. It's all about this, you know, defining spirituality by keeping these set of rules. And, and if you don't do it, then, you, then you're, you're judged. Now let's go back to in, uh, Matthew 12. What does it say? The disciples judged Jesus and his disciples because they were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. So, so they're looking and they're saying, you're breaking rules, why? Because they're walking through, you're allowed to do that, but when they're plucking grain, well, that's harvesting. And not only that, but then they're, they're taking it, they're kind of breaking up the wheat from the, the, the shell, and that's, well, that's wind, you know, that's, uh, that's, um, uh, that's threshing, and then they blow the shell away, that's, that's winnowing, and, that's work, that's labor, how dare they, they're guilty. And you look at it and say, that doesn't come from the heart of God. See, these, they're, they're, they're taking this idea that God's rules are arbitrary, and not only that, but then they look at it, they focus on the external action. Because it's arbitrary, they're not at all concerned about the heart. You see, and their view, the, you know, their view of this is, is just like you know, Simon saying, don't shut your ear, here's the rules that we keep. 
And they were, you know, they thought, man, we're focused on keeping all the rules about the Sabbath. And they thought that was a good thing. Should we keep the Sabbath? Yes, we're going to see that is a good thing. But they totally misunderstood the heart of God behind it. They understood, misunderstood the relationship with God that God was calling to them. They're approaching God not as a loving father, but as this unemotionally unattached rule giver who's up there that's just calling us to do what he calls us to do. No, Jesus says this is wrong. In fact, he even confronts it when we see in verses nine through 14, when he calls this, you know, this, uh, this man that has the shriveled hand. And, and, and they're, sure, they're sure, you know, Jesus, you know, that's, that's rule. That's what, you know, God wouldn't do that. God doesn't want you to do work on the Sabbath. That's a violation. And Jesus said, no, the Sabbath is about a day of honoring God. It's a day where, why do we take the Sabbath? Because it's a day where we're healed, where we restored. You know, the problem we're gonna see next week, that our souls become withered. We get worn out, we get stray, stretched out. And so our souls become withered and God wants to touch us on the Sabbath to heal and restore. That's what Jesus is illustrating. That's why he goes to this person and he does that healing because he's saying this is the very purpose of the Sabbath. And you're denying, you're so focused on the action that you miss the purpose, you miss the heart behind it. Now I want to tell you, in this I said that this is the heart of legalism. It views God as being impersonal. Laws is just made up. And therefore, you know, that we look at this and we say, well, they don't apply to me anymore and, and, and I know better than God. But legalism is only one expression of this. You see, when you think about people who totally reject God, when people who totally reject his, his morality, it's basically the same belief. Why do they do that? Because they look at it and they say, well, God's up there and I know God said this, but, but it doesn't apply to me. You know, God, it isn't in my best interest. Basically, why do people reject God? Because they're saying, that's God's rule. I know it is. And, 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 and you know, I can disobey God where I, I know what is better for me. I know in, my, in, in our advanced world, I know that this is the better choice. This is what will make me happy. So do I obey God and make him happy and jump through the hoop because he's playing Simon Says? Or do I do, 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 I do what I know it's really best for me? Because I know better than God does. You see, when we focus on this, we're missing the heart of God. It's external action, we miss the heart of God. And, and then ultimately people that, that do this, when they become legalistic, they become prideful and they judge other people's failures. They would sit there and they say, okay, well, I'm keeping all the rules and aren't you? And that's, you know, when you see Matthew uh, 12 here, the Pharisees catch Jesus' disciples eating the grain and they call them out. They say, look, your disciples are doing what's awful on the Sabbath. You know what I think? I think of Simon Says, where you have a bunch of kids that are out there, and when you're playing, you're not only trying to do what you're calling, you know, trying to do, you're looking at the neighbor next to him, because you want to win. So you say, she touched her ear, you know, he touched her knee, you know, he, you know, he didn't do that, and I'm calling everybody out, because I want to I be the one that wins. That's exactly what's happening here. You have the Pharisees, they're watching, and they're saying, you know, you know Jesus didn't, God didn't say, they're doing what God didn't say to do, and they're judging other people. It was all based on a wrong understanding. So what's the right view? What is God trying to teach us here about a right understanding of who he is and, and about a right understanding of what his moral teaching is? And there's some principles that are taught here. Again, they start with understanding of the right nature of God. Let's go back to even the verse right before this passage in Matthew 12. What did Jesus say at the end of Matthew chapter 11? He said, the context, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me all that think that it's about performance. Come to me all that are trying to 
earn God's favor, that are trying to do all the things that you think you're supposed to do. No, and I'm gonna give you rest. This is not, this is not a burden. God doesn't call us to performance. He, he wants a relationship with us. Where there, within this relationship, his moral teaching isn't a burden that we carry. It's a relationship with God when we understand properly, it's designed to give us rest. But it starts by realizing it is about relationship. It's not about rules. God isn't the impersonal rule giver up there that's just making up arbitrary rules for us to follow. No, he, did, he loves us and he desires a relationship with us. And everything in the moral law is an expression of that love. It's a way of pursuing that relationship. See, everything that is taught in the Bible, even things about keeping the Sabbath or about our sexuality or about honesty, all those things, they're an expression of the way that God, of God's character, the way that the world works. It's an expression of who we are created to be. See, it's something that God is saying, okay, this is the way that I've made you as a person. This is the, the fabric of wisdom and the, and the world and the way that things work. And I'm calling you to do this because it's, it's the way of health. It's the way of blessing. See, Jesus actually tries to then teach us and show us how this is all an expression of his love in the second scene here, and starting in verse nine. Again, look at verse nine. When he went on from there, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? They're focused on rules. They don't care about the man that's there. They, you know, they're, they're focused on the rules. They wanna catch him breaking the rules and, and basically use that as an excuse to reject him. So Jesus confronts them by getting them to think about their own heart. Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not uh, take hold of it and lift it out? And he's basically saying, okay, know your heart. Okay, on the Sabbath, there's a rule, but if you have a sheep, which you value, it has some value and it falls in a hole, if you know if you leave it there, it's gonna possibly die. So what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna pull it out. You know, that's not work. You, don't, you realize that's not work. That's actually helping that sheep. And you don't feel guilty about that. And then he continues, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And so what he said is, if that's what your heart is, that you know that you have a sheep that you value, that it's okay to do something to help that sheep, well, you know what? God loves and values any person far more than you value your sheep. And what he's pointing out is your problem is you don't value the person and you think that God doesn't value the person. You think that God's all about rules. No, God actually is about relationship. He's about valuing the person. These are for our good. Then we read in verse 13, he said to the man, stretch out your hand and the man stretched it out and was restored healthy like the other. So it's about understanding that God is there to, to heal us. God is there to restore us. God and his rules, his guidelines are all there for our benefit. But if it's about relationship, how do we get that relationship? And the legalist would say, well, what you do is you keep the rules. If you keep the rules, if you make God happy, well then, well, then you have it. Well, no, Jesus' death is the basis of our relationship. It's not our performance. It's not our keeping of the rules. In fact, when the Bible, you look at the Bible, the Bible's really clear. You know, God didn't give us the, the Old Testament, the rules and the law, so that we can learn how to keep them. And if we perform enough, then God's happy. And if we, you know, if we, if we don't mess up and Simon says, we get to stay in the game. No. The fact is, is yes, the Bible gives us God's rules because they're good for us, but also to show us that none of us can keep them perfectly. None of us keep all the laws perfectly. None of We all fall short. The Bible's clear on that. So what does Galatians say? It says that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
It was never a means by which we would earn God's favor, but it was to reveal to us that we couldn't keep it perfectly. So we needed a righteousness not that we accomplish, but a righteousness from outside of ourselves, a righteousness from God that God gives us. And so whenever you know, anyone says, well, you, know, you need to do this, and well, that's driving us away from the gospel. Why do people, why does God accept us? It's not based on what we've done. So if you're here and you're trying to earn God's favor and you're like, man, I've fallen short, or even if you're in you're saying, but God wants nothing to do with me, I wanna tell you that God loves you not based on what you do. Our failures are that reminder that we can never earn his favor. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he died on the cross, he, lived, he had lived a perfect life where he deserved God's reward. He deserved God's uh, um, affirmation but he instead took our sins and he took God's punishment for our sins. So when we believe God removes our sins from ourselves, put them on Jesus, and he takes Jesus' perfection and righteousness and he puts it on us. So then God looks at us and he accepts us based on our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Not on our performance, but our acceptance of what Jesus has done for us. So then why do we if a follower is Christ, okay, I pray, to, I pray to receive Jesus. Why, why then should I seek to obey him? Should I just, okay, Jesus forgave me. Well, well, here's what, you, again, you've got to realize. I don't perform to accept, to earn his acceptance, but once that I am accepted, once that I am his child, then I realize that I'm part of that as I accept him as my savior, accept him as my Lord, and I, in response to the relationship that he's given me, I now seek to obey him. Think of it this way. Uh, sometimes we might think, you know, before God, God has two different classes of children. And when he has the good children that he enjoys and he has the disobedient children that he just kind of puts up with and frustrates. Any of us that have had kids, you know, realize that, that we have kids that sometimes they're really living well and sometimes they're living rebellion. Do you love them differently? No. What's the difference? Well, at times when they're really obeying us, well, then they enjoy all the benefits of that relationship. You know, we get to love them, we get to reward them, we get to, you know, we, we, we enjoy that time. When they're rebelling, there's distance. They're not any less our child, but they're not enjoying the benefits of that relationship. And that's the whole thing here. I don't earn God's favor, but I seek to obey him because it's an expression of that favor. And the more that I align myself with him, the more that I enjoy the relationship he's given me. But what is the nature of that relationship? It's one of trust. It's recognizing that he is not just this lawgiver that's up there at a distance that's just giving me the law, these laws. No, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, my creator. He's my designer. And because I realize that, I realize everything in the Bible, all moral law that's in the Bible, even keeping the Sabbath, it's for our good. It's an expression of God's character and the nature of our world. You know, that when we look at this, we see that that it is important to trust his goodness. You know, a simple illustration I know I've used before, but it's just as simple that communicates. The Bible is kind of the instruction manual. God said, okay, this is the way I've created you. Here's the instruction manual. If you do this, it works. So if you have the instruction manual for your car, it says, okay, here's a gas tank. It put gas in it. What if you think, well, I don't like it. It's too expensive to have gas now. I think I'll try water. It's cheaper. How does it work? You know, I think maple syrup seems to have a lot of energy. Why don't we try that in the gas tank? Now, are you free? Is the instruction manual legalistic and telling you what you have to do? No, you could put water in your gas tank if you want. You could put, I wouldn't recommend it, but you, you could do that if you want. You're free to do that, but it will break your car. 
So here's what God's word is. God's saying, I am the designer. I am the creator. I've given you the instruction manual of what works. You're free to do whatever you want. You can disregard his instructions. You can do whatever you want. But when you do that, he's saying, it's gonna break your life. It's gonna lead to brokenness. It's gonna lead to destruction. It's gonna lead to problems. And he doesn't do it because he's trying to force us and do this or else you're out. He's trying to do it and saying, I'm your creator. And I've given you these principles and I want you to trust me because I know what's best. We not only trust him as our creator and designer, but even more as our father, a good and loving father. Because it's not just our designer, it's not just a car. No, he's our father that really cares about us. And so as a parent that you say, well, do this, don't do that. You know, if, you know, if you do that, my heart's gonna break if you do that, you can make that choice because I know it's gonna be harmful. But the fact is God's looking at as a father and saying, I want you to make these right decisions because they're in your best interest. There are things, because I love you, I wanted you to do the things that are gonna lead to health. So the Bible is filled with this kind of teaching. Jesus talked about in John, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Satan's out there giving us lies, but the lies are just to say, yeah, put water in the gas tank, put, you know, put maple syrup. Man, he's out there to kill us. Jesus said, no, I came that you might have life and the more that you align yourself with me, the more life you will discover. Or take what it says in Psalm 1 specifically about his word and about moral law. It says, blessed, oh, how happy, literally we could translate it, how blessed, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The path of happiness isn't listening to the wisdom of our world. No, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. No, blessed, how happy is the one who recognizes that God's word is principles that would guide us to the blessed life. And if we do that, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. So when we live this life, when we plant ourselves in the tree of his word, we're planted by streams of water so that even in times of drought, even when things are hard, we're still drawing from the streams. It doesn't mean that that life is gonna be easy, we're gonna have trouble, but that we're able to prosper even in the hard times. Why? Because God wants what's good for us. You see, but ultimately this is about relationship. It's ultimately God pursuing the relationship and recognizing that, and as we accept that, as we embrace God and we say, okay, God, I want this relationship with you. A natural expression of that is that if I really believe that God is my creator, if I really believe he's good, then I'm gonna wanna know his word and I'm gonna wanna align myself with that. See, on the other hand, if I look at that and if I say, well, I think I know his, I'm, I'm, I'm disregarding God, by very nature, what we're saying is we're saying, God, I don't believe you. I think that your word is yours. you're out there making what, you know, commands and they don't really apply to me anymore. They're not based on what is good. You don't love me that much. I know better than you do, so therefore I'm gonna disregard what you say and I'm gonna be my own God. I'm going to be my own rule giver. That's what Jesus talks about when he says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning if we don't keep his commandments, it shows that we really don't love him. We don't have that relationship. We don't, if we consistently, if that's part of our life, it's saying, I don't really trust him. My friends, we've gotta see that we live in a world that there's a lot of confusion about who God is, about how his relationship with us, and, and even in our culture, it's confusion about, about what his moral law is. Why does he give us these principles? Are they outdated? Do we know better? 
And the Bible teaches us these, these ideas that it's not God is up there as this rule giver just telling us what to do and we can decide whether to do it or not. No, he is a loving God, our creator, who is pursuing us and giving us these principles for our good. That he wants to touch us. He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to take those of us that are in the pits that are just worn out, that are weary and heavy laden and just can't keep going. And he says, no, come to me because in me you will find rest. Rest for your souls. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about him? And if you're here, no matter where you're at, no matter how much you've run toward him or away from him, if you've wandered, I want you to see that all this is an invitation. It's not a command, it's an invitation to be able to say, come to me. And if you wandered from me, it's an invitation of grace to say, I know I want to come and I want to offer forgiveness. And because the relationship isn't based ever on anything that you've done. And so if you wandered away and God's going to reject you, well, no, he never accepted you because of what you did. But it's an admission, God, I agree with you. Not only that I've broken the rule, but I've rebelled against, I've, I've wanted to be my own God. I ask you to forgive me through Jesus Christ. Give me his righteousness. And then God, help me to learn what it means to be able to, to embrace, to believe that you are good, to embrace your teaching in every aspect of my life. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.